And I apologize in advance. I've got my windows closed, but I do live near where a train crosses. So hopefully we won't be treated to that. But chances are we will. Yeah, it's fine. I've got two cats. And when I was recording with my um, Arashi friend last weekend, um, they started like brawling. (laughs) So I was editing and I just got to this part where you just, she's like talking and I just hear myself yelling, Chewy! Like, <laughs> like my mom always said, I'm like, oh, I'm that cat lady, huh? Oh, okay. that's okay. Yeah, it's fine. I'm uh, well used to my life. Um, Okay, so one more question. Well, yeah. So what, do you have a song that you want to start off with? Not to, not to put you on the spot. It can, I mean, it can not, literally be not anything. Not one that I picked. Just a different one, right? Mm-hmm. How about can we start with Kiss My Foot 2's Gravity? Yeah. thanks for thanks for coming to record with me on my podcast um would you like to to introduce yourself sure um i'm nick from the bias list um the bias list is a k-pop review website i've posted every single day i don't know if that's crazy or just a good work ethic (laughs) but um i write about pretty much every big k-pop release that comes out and increasingly more j-pop as well as i've begun to explore that industry more. I love a countdown and a ranking. Right now, I'm in the middle of uh, counting down my top 100 all-time K-pop songs, which is quite an undertaking, but super fun. Um, Yeah, so it's just been a really cool way for me to vent my feelings to everybody, whether they want to hear them or not, and I'm lucky enough to have developed a following. Yeah, so that's me. I mean, personally, I think that's what music blogging is all about, is just getting all your feelings out, whether people want to hear it or not. I mean, (laughs) 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 and hopefully, you know, you find someone that you agree with or just enjoy reading, whether you agree or not. We'll see if uh, we agree on any of the songs that I pick, but I find (laughs) my taste is uh, a little different than a lot of what I see online. Um, from Western fans in particular. So I kind of felt before I had started the site that there was this niche of music that wasn't really being written about in a serious way. Yeah, and I mean, that's how I came across your um, writing for the first time. I forget even who it was, but somebody on my Twitter timeline, when I had a Twitter, um, 
like linked your piece on J-pop and how you'd been listening more to J-pop. And I was like, oh, so he gets it. (laughs) (laughs) We do exist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so just as somebody coming from K-pop, like what do you think the big differences are between sort of K-pop and J-pop? To me, one of the things that attracts me most about at least the idol side of J-pop, which is what I listen to mostly, is it kind of feels like, and I, I want to say this in a way that doesn't sound like a put down to either <laughs> of the industries, but it's kind of like a warts and all approach to K-pop. Like K-pop is so precision based and so perfect and so about the image that I feel like sometimes they forget the song, which to me is the most important part of any, I mean, it's music. The song should be the the first thing that you think about. For J-pop, it's like, let your freak flag fly, at least for Johnny's. I feel like the things they do are so quote-unquote uncool to what most people would expect from an idol group, and I just find that really charming. Yeah, I mean, I agree on both counts, 100%. The John, like, and people have made fun of me for this before, but when I was first, like, when I had first kind of found um, J-pop through, like, drama songs, like, way back in the early 2000s, um, like, I didn't know that the idol groups, like, had variety shows and stuff. I I literally just liked the music. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. you know, and this is, like, the era of um, Taki and Tsubasa, like, ho, summer, ho, ho, summer. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, all of that stuff. And, um... Yeah, and I remember getting, like, into um, arguments, um, like, they were saying, like, oh, Johnny's music is all, like, kids pop. And I was like, no, it's actually good. You just have terrible taste. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just, it's unpretentious. And it's like, if you're going to write a song about ninjas from space, I want it to sound like ninjas from space. I don't want it to be, like, this 20-minute long video where people are seriously staring at statues and you have to try to guess what they're thinking. It's just, it's really fun. And to me, music, especially pop music, should be fun. Yeah, Johnny's takes, um, I'm going to call it a maximalist approach to pop music. So it really is just, <laughs> like, it really is just absolutely everything. And what I what I really, really love about um, Johnny's music is that um, I'm like a sucker for, like, I love unique sounding voices and um johnny's they just throw like if you're in the group you just sing like this is how it works <laughs> like, <laughs> that's for sure you know that is a stumbling block at first like if you're migrating from k-pop over to johnny's it's like oh gosh um like some of these guys are in the group specifically because they can't sing <laughs> like on a technical level and it shouldn't work but the force of their personality and the expressiveness of their performance, I think it's just so unique. Yeah, in the older groups, um, like I feel like the groups, like when they build up more clout within the um, agency, they're able to kind of, um, you know, get songs sort of tailored for their uh, like strong <laughs> points. Because <laughs> I've I've made everybody you know, listen to ABCZ, who are the absolute, I think they've got the smallest fan club in Johnny's. Um, They've been around forever. Um, But it took, I mean, I feel like it took at least five years after they debuted for uh, Tsuku-chan and Goseki, who are the two in charge of dancing and acrobatics, for them to have like more than one line per song. (laughs) And even then that used to be like they shared the line. (laughs) But sometimes I think 
having it's so hard to talk about this without feeling like I'm putting them down, but having performers that might not be the best of technical singers, it forces the producers to craft more interesting songs around them. Well, and it also, because here's one of the things about J-pop that I absolutely love because I am a, I mean, when I was little, my parents, um, we had a no singing at the dinner table rule, like specifically for me. Um, (laughs) And I sing all the time to myself and Johnny songs, they're made for karaoke. Um, And one of the songs that you picked is actually I've done at karaoke before and it's a total blast um, to sing with like, you know. I can't wait to hear which one that is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So it, like they're they're sort of in the range of kind of your average like karaoke singer, and um, it's not like the point isn't to be like there was just this argument going on about I saw somebody linked me to um, you know, oh like SM singers are the best, or like oh you think SM singers are the best, like this whole big thread, and like honestly, who cares? <laughs> Like if the song isn't good, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. if 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 I can't if I can't hum it, if I can't walk out, you know, and like sing the the chorus back to you, like it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, a great voice can elevate material, but yeah, if the song's not good, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like I met up with um, a Japanese friend of mine. Like well, back when you could meet up with friends before Corona, and this was right after Stones' Imitation Rain had come out. And I was like, have you heard it? And she's like, imitation rain. <laughs> it's like, like your hands want to go up and wave immediately. <laughs> and I'm like, there you go. It's a hit. You know, it's a hit. But yeah, that's that's kind of like the... Well, the other thing about J-pop, and I don't know if you would agree with me on this, but um, I think a lot of times, like Johnny songs especially, are meant to be heard a um, hundred times. Like you hear it once, you're kind of like, eh. You hear it again. That's all right. But then you hear it like the 10th time and you're like, this is amazing. Yeah. Well, and they're also, I mean, they're designed for huge stage spectacles and very theatrical performances. I feel like they're very visual in a way that K-pop is too, um, but not as much as K-pop used to be. Yeah. And that's an interesting point. I I do. Yeah. Like K-pop in a lot of ways, the scale has shrunk. And I don't know if it's because, you know, they're focusing more on the West now and like Western tastes and we don't like, we don't like campy, we don't like maximalist, um, we don't like artifice. And so it's all these very small scale. Well, and also, I mean, they can't take the touring, um, they can't take like a big stage set to America. Right. It's too expensive. So. Well, and there's been such an increased... um, importance placed on this idea of authenticity which I just hate it's something that I feel like western audience audiences especially look for as if the ability to write your own song or play an instrument makes the song somehow better and I'm just I've never been about that pop music has always been fantasy to me like I don't want to hear a song that I could go around the corner and stumble into a bar and hear somebody sitting in the corner strumming a guitar and playing that song I want to hear like this weird imaginary parade that doesn't really exist. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And um, I mean, that's that's a lot of like idol idol music, um, <laughs> and it's pretty great, I have to say. Um, and I included so on my list, I also included some rock songs, just because a big part of J-pop is still rock music, way more than 
I mean, I think rock has pretty much died in every other country, but Japan is still holding strong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just Japan has such a broad variety of music that you'll hear sort of in the mainstream. So I guess my, my criteria was just kind of like anything you'd find on like the J-pop floor at Tower Records in Shibuya. I really appreciated that. There were a couple of uh, songs I had never heard of before and ended up, well, I won't go any further. Okay. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, so let's just get into it. I'll, um, for people listening at home, I guess I will play, maybe I'll play a clip first and then we can talk about it. Great. And it was released March 11th, 2009. Um, and it was written by kind of sort of this all-star team of um, one Japanese writer, Shusui, and then like a handful of Scandinavians. But um, Shusui, I think, is kind of interesting. He also wrote Seishin Amigo, which was a big, oh, I love that song. Yeah, big blockbuster. He's written like hundreds of songs, like for News, Kinky Kids, Arashi, Tegumas, Kitty Jim, Golf and Mike. Um, and he writes all the weird Johnny's West songs. Like, buddy. <laughs> Are there not weird Johnny's West songs? <laughs> <laughs> I was looking on Wikipedia and I was like, oh, wait a minute. He wrote Buddy Happy. Which is one of my faves because it sounds like you're at like a beer garden. Um, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Leaning those glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I really love the performance for that one too. They've done it on Shonen Club and it is delightful. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so Rescue uh, with the rap, of course, by Joker, aka Koki. 
And then um, my favorite part is uh, <laughs> Nakamaru's beatbox. Because <laughs> <laughs> why not? I mean, every song needs a beatbox. <laughs> <laughs> he, he needs something to do, poor guy. Of course. <laughs> But yeah, I guess, well, maybe that's like sort of the other Johnny's thing we didn't touch on. But if you have like a specialty, whether or not, you know, you're sort of world class at it or sort of like if you're if whether you're just, or not it warrants being in a pop song, <laughs> we're just going to include it. And, you know, for Nakamoto, his like um, his specialty is beatbox. So, you know what? We're just going to throw it in there. All right. So um, what made you pick Rescue? Like, what is it about this song? Um, it's my favorite cartoon song and possibly my favorite Johnny song. Um, but since this was the first time we were talking, I thought it would be good to start out with a song that kind of crystallized a lot of the things that I like in pop music. Um, momentum is a big thing. I like songs that just kind of constantly feel like they're snowballing and layered vocals, um, vocal arrangements in general are something I really nerd out about in songs. And I think the vocal in this is just so cool. The interplay between the backing and the main vocals and just the 80s sound. I grew up in the 80s, so it's kind of what I was raised on. Yeah, yeah, it, it does really have that forward momentum. Um, what's, what this is, I, I actually really like Rescue. I'm not a huge cartoon fan, but this is one of the songs I actually really, really do like. And this is a song I've done at karaoke before. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if we ever if we ever meet up and go to karaoke, we can do rescue. It's so much fun. Um, there's this one part, like towards the end, where it's like almost a round, where they're just like layering the vocals, and then the next person comes in, and the next person comes in, and it just sort of like um, stacks them up. And it's not something you hear like in like on the radio. <laughs> just such a cool experience it's like waves coming at you it almost gives you this feeling of like baroqueness you know there was that whole movement in the 60s of like baroque pop where they threw in like the orchestra and the strings and whatever and they use like uh, or tried to give it like this classical feel and to me rescue always sounded like that except yeah like transported 20 30 years in the future it's also got like an honest to goodness bridge which i feel like is a such a missed part of a pop song in recent years especially it really takes its time um after the second chorus especially in the music video version where it just keeps building and building that uh, dance break and i just think just that kind of open space that it creates is so satisfying it gives you this feeling of of just epicness you're just it's it's the maximalist Johnny's vision where you can just picture them in costumes that are 20 layers deep with every, <laughs> like every kind Why of... Why do they do that? <laughs> it's not very flattering. <laughs> it's for quick changes. Because, oh, yeah. Because they change costumes so many times that they can just rip off... Um, they can just rip off a layer and then the next one's underneath. But yeah... 
I don't understand how they don't pass out from heat exhaustion, though. I don't know. It's like, unless they've got fans underneath there or something. I think just uh, stamina, you know? Yeah, so they're yeah, so they're in their maximalist costumes with feathers and bits that f- twirl around, and um, it's just rescue is like you take every element that you can fit in a song and just cram it in, um, but it never feels too crowded. Like it's all it's all structured very well, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, it's just. <laughs> The other thing about Rescue, and I think Cartoon more generally, is that it always, like, they always appealed to kind of the, um, sort of the angsty teen, and just that, and because some of it's in English, too, you know, the, I don't want to cry alone, it's very much like, oh, you're just 15 again, like, <laughs> like singing it to a hairbrush, like, oh, no one understands me, like, that very, like... <laughs> It's angsty, but it's almost kind of celebratory in its angst. It's not mopey. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's like Friday night angst and not um, <laughs> Monday morning I have to go back to school <laughs> angst. <laughs> yeah, I've always enjoyed Rescue. Good pick. A great introduction as well. The um, cheesy opening monologue or whatever you'd oh. call it is... <laughs> quite something (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's I mean there's a reason that cartoon songs are always covered by like Johnny's Juniors um in like on Shonen Club and stuff it's just yeah it's just something about them that they just capture kind of that just like that youthful I don't know it's just that yeah like the angst but it's like fun angst um, and it's kind of like they're cool, like for Johnny's. Like this is about as cool as Johnny's gets. <laughs> totally, it's edgy for Johnny's, <laughs> which so, is yeah. just about as edgy as I want them to be, anyways. <laughs> yeah, it, any edgier than this, and it really, you're just kind of like, meh. Eh, I'll just go listen to Visual K if that's if that's really what I'm after. <laughs>
over to um, Bibita, which was um, it was released April 24th, 2014 as a music video by this band Kyuso Nekogami from Osaka. And um, so the video has them in the like it has them going into the record company um, sort of meeting room and they keep getting handed these plans of like this is what you're supposed to do and um they like continue to uh they do it and then they make fun of it um you know they go back to the boardroom it shows like the ratings dropping nothing works except when they're themselves on stage and at the very end of the video they kind of close the uh, boardroom door and <laughs> you realize that they've, the whole time they've been singing Bibita um, which you know is pretty close to the Japanese pronunciation of uh, Victor Bikta which is um, their record label <laughs> so it's just kind of like a very not teen angst but like teen rebellion songs I guess yeah it's got a real punk type energy yeah it's like a power pop yeah well, it's, I had to include somebody from Osaka. And um, when I was first, like the first time I went to Osaka in 2015, and I was in like the, like the downtown area um, and like wandered into a restaurant and in my, like my speaking Japanese wasn't great back then. And I kind of like half English, half Japanese with um, the waitress and she was telling me about this band that she really liked. And I went back and looked it up and it was Kyuso Nekogami. And then the next year I saw them on Music Station and they kind of, um, they didn't really like blow up, blow up, go like way mainstream, but they're definitely kind of like that mid-tier, uh, like mid-tier popular. Like people would know who they are like in Osaka, like if they were music fans, kind of like regional mainstream, I guess. Um, when mm-hmm. I was there last year with my friend, um, we were in HMV in Osaka, like downtown Osaka, and I went in. Um, she was there for something else, but I was like wandering around, and I found the Kyuso Nekogami section, and they had like <laughs> like different photos, and you could like take your picture with like they had different um, props and stuff you could play with. But yeah, I like it. It's a very power poppy, um, extremely energetic, and the video is very funny. I think. Oh no, <laughs> I liked it too. Um... It's not usually something that I would listen to. I feel like if I were just going through iTunes or something and hearing a couple of seconds, I probably wouldn't have listened to the whole thing, but I'm glad that I did. I really liked the synth in the chorus, especially. It kind of felt very new wave. Um, it actually reminded me a lot of a lot of the kind of indie bands I would listen to in the mid-2000s, like Franz Ferdinand or Modest Mouse, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's um, that reminds me of that too. There was that whole wave of bands like back in the early to mid two thousands, and I feel like in America that it just kind of died out completely. But in Japan, like they just kept going.
Franz Ferdinandi like kind of just very like forward moving high energy um the lyrics are pretty funny uh if you speak <laughs> Japanese and um like their whole thing like their whole shtick is just they're from Osaka they do comedy and uh yeah like I think they've had kind of a contentious relationship with their record label um their follow-up single to Bibita was Mega Shake It which is basically literally sort of a redo of Bibita but just making fun of um different stuff I think their record label must have told them to insert a like dance chorus because they do it <laughs> like sarcastically <laughs> there's a a real intermixing of comedy and music in Japanese music am I right in thinking that yeah yeah they're not um it's not quite so I don't know like I feel like the comedy music can also be good um I mean are you a Frank Zappa fan at all I mean I'm aware of him but I haven't listened to a lot okay I feel like you know a lot of stuff kind of runs closer to the Frank Zappa sort of where he he would make things humorous but he also was um you know musically very talented so or i mean even weird al i guess when it comes down to it but um yeah so and and basically everybody from osaka is expected to be funny in some way (laughs) that that must be kind of a burden (laughs) my god can you imagine being like this mopey person from osaka you have to pretend you're from um like you should pretend you're from tokyo i guess yeah (laughs) but um i just yeah i wanted to include something like a regional hit because you can still have those uh, which i think is just great um and yeah so like i guess johnny's west would be the the big um like kansai group right now from johnny's But um, even like the AKB, like they've got a, you know, they've got their Kansai AKB units. Um, yeah, like it's it's pretty, like there are definitely like regional, like regional differences in what people listen to. Yeah, that's so cool. I, it kind of reminds me of, I lived in the UK for a little while and I feel like almost the smaller um, a market is, the more you get that. I feel like in the States, you don't get that as much. We're too big. Especially with um, the consolidation of um, radio and that kind of stuff too, like it's you just turn on the radio, you hear the same ten songs, no matter where you are in the country right now. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So I, I wanted to just throw in something um, that I think would is kind of like a uniquely Japanese hit. Like you couldn't, like like a group like Kyuso Nikogami wouldn't be popular really anywhere else. This definitely felt like um, what I imagine when I think of kind of like indie J-pop guitar-driven music. There's a bunch of bands like this, Key Talk, yeah, that do like kind of a high-energy 
high energy uh, rock. I guess it's like the Franz Ferdinand genre. Mm-hmm. Really you know, angry. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kyuso <laughs> Negogami, they've got, um, yeah, I guess it's like that, uh, like resentful teen, resentful teen anger, like plus high energy um, rock and roll and a willingness to be ridiculous um, in their uh, videos. It is, and if you know, like, J-Rock, it's kind of funny. You can kind of pick out the bands they're parodying. All right, so moving on from Osaka, we'll go back to kind of, like, regular um, J-Pop. And this is, like, pretty heavy, like, Avex pop, too. So this is um, AAA, I Tied You. Actually, I've never really been super into them, but um, I listened to this a lot and really liked it. So, yeah, what what made you pick this song, or how did you even find them? Um, I found I, I had known about them for a while. I only really started listening to them a couple years ago, and this may seem like a really odd comparison because they make such different sounding music, but I kind of in my head compare them to Big Bang. <laughs> from K-pop in the sense that they're a group of individuals that are also different from each other and create something really cool together. But then they each have these massively successful, as far as I know, um, solo projects that are so unique to that uh, member's personality. And I just think in that way, they feel kind of like a super group to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, 
I know them mostly from um, seeing like Nishi, like his solo Tokyo Dome like advertisements everywhere. And, and, you know, to me, that's like, that's huge. Like solo Tokyo Dome concert. I mean, yeah, I watched the, um, the DVD of that. It's a really good show. Yeah. I mean, I believe it. Like he's very talented. <laughs> um, so anyway, this song, oh, I should give all the, the stats about it. Um, so it was released May 5th, 2010. And it was written by Komuro Tetsuya, who is the um, Easy Do Dance guy. He's like, I mean, as as the more I research about it, he is a huge name, especially in the '90s. Yeah, like Easy Do Dance. I mean, that was like, (laughs) you still can't escape Easy Do Dance. Um, It's such a title. (laughs) (laughs) They had like Easy Do Aerobics like a few years ago. (laughs) But yeah, so this was this was also the song they first appeared on Kohaku with in 2010. Um, and I actually went back and watched that this morning, um, since I have all the cool, well, I have like maybe the last 10 years worth of cool hakus. Um, so I went and watched it and it was great. Um, yeah. I'm like, why haven't I given them a chance before? Um, I, I really don't, un- I, I mean, I guess I've just been so many other things to listen to, but yeah, I was really impressed. Um, and it's funny that when we were talking about rescue, you mentioned all the layering and stuff because this song is like a hundred percent about layering and build up and repeating. And, um, yeah, it was, it's very, it's got that same kind of epic feel to it. Yeah. I think you'll find that all the songs I picked have that same feel. Um, this one, I feel like the melody is so simple and it is really repetitive. I mean, even during the second half, it almost feels like they stopped the song and started again from the beginning, which is a really unique approach. Um, but for me, the expressiveness of the performance is what I really especially like about this and something I like about J-pop in general. Like we said earlier, sometimes the vocalists might not be technically the best, but they can express and emote with the best of them. I happen to think this group has amazing vocalists, but um, just that that raw emotion that you get from it. Oh my God, they emoted like I could feel it. <laughs> like you know, especially when years... you watch the video. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Ten years later, I'm still like it just hits you right in the heart, like right in the gut. Um, but the way they layer and sort of blend, and just that also that mix of male and female voices really comes through. Um, and the instruments like the the backing also like layers up like the more you go through it and then the best part (laughs) at least in the video where it ends with just like this little like harpsichord thing that just kind of trails off (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that that could bring me to tears to be honest like that is so uh it's like such a good payoff it really is you go through this whole song and yeah it is it, it is very much like um you're kind of looping, looping, looping through it. And then it's just like, bam, 
fake harpsichord. Let's go. <laughs> Artifice. <laughs> It was very satisfying. I, I'm going to have to like check them out more, I think. Um, if you like this song, the album that it's that it comes from, it probably is my favorite J-pop album of all time. I just it's totally produced by the same guy. Very similar sound. Um, one thing that Avex has been able to do better than any other place I can think of is have co-ed groups that actually work. I'm thinking specifically about K-pop and how co-ed groups are such a rarity. And when they do happen, like with Card, um, I remember seeing an interview where they were talking about how infrequently they come back. And part of the reason was because producers in K-pop just didn't know how to write a song for a co-ed group. And I feel like uh, AAA has been able to do have such a long career um, as a co-ed group, even though they've lost the majority of their members. And I just think, I think back to other AVEX groups, that's something that they've really been able to do well. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, I mean, they're marketed as, like, a super performance group. And, like, that, I mean, that is kind of like the AVEX thing, is, like, super performance. Because they're not idols. It's not an idol group. They're, I mean, they are a performance group, and they do, you know, they dance and sing, um, and, you know, they, they have like the outsized, um, you know, emotions and stuff, but, uh, they're not idols. And I think that's a huge, like, that's a, a big difference maybe from the K-pop stuff, because I mean, even a group like Card, I mean, they're still an idol group. Right. Yeah. I've never thought about it like that. Yeah. I mean, these are like the sort of nitpicky things. Like once you start looking into J-pop where the, um, I mean, I think these distinctions really come through. Like, a, even like a group like Perfume, I mean, they're also a performance group. They're not idols, um, even though they sing and dance, you know? So what in the J-pop market distinguishes idol group from performance group? I mean, they just call themselves idols, um, for one thing. <laughs> like, I mean, they have to, you know, I, I think that's like a, an attitude where, I mean, a performance group is focused on the performance where I think idol groups have um, different priorities, even if they, you know, they also perform well. Um, the I feel like if you're an idol group, your first priority is always the audience and pleasing the audience. Where I think performance groups, um, the emphasis is more on the craft. Can you think of any act in K-pop that you would classify as a performance group? Does that even exist? I don't, I mean, I think it's just different in K-pop. I mean, K-pop, I, I think they've blended, kind of blended the two, or at least attempted to. Um, and so even though you get a group like, um, like Shiny, who are incredible performers, but I mean, I think their first priority is always sort of pleasing the fans. Um, right, yeah, that system, I mean... Yeah, that's that's the SM. I mean, 
SM was sort of built to be kind of a Johnny's type company. Well, I think idols, especially in K-pop, have gotten more and more away from um, like pleasing mainstream audiences anyway. I mean, they're very focused on on their audiences. Right. Yeah, I don't know if a group like um, what was it, Attack All Around, <laughs> Attack Attack All Around. It's really intimidating <laughs> to picture, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Suddenly they're there. <laughs> I mean, I think if there was a Suba performance group in K-pop, I have a feeling it would be aimed more at the Korean listening public and it would automatically kind of alienate sort of the like the K-pop sort of global fandom. Yeah. At least that's just my like gut instinct. It's an interesting distinction, though. I've never really, I've never really given it any thought. I guess when I thought, because I'm so accustomed to K-pop, when I think about J-pop, I kind of in my mind mentally, if it sounds poppier and not like some rock band, then it gets in my mind classified as idol. Yeah, but there's, I mean, there really is a a difference um, between the idols and like the performance groups. And I mean, like even even Carrie Pemmy Pemmy has said she's not an idol. She's like a a stylist, I guess, like a song stylist. these are like kind of the nitpicking things i mean i think it's interesting to dig into no i do too i think it's super interesting all right well let's um we can go on with one of mine then um and i i realized after i was listening to it today that i'd already played this on my podcast but i really like it which is the hada hada hida fudu Ah, 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 ah,
And this was off of ABCZ's album VS5, which was released May 23rd, 2018. And it was kind of the second album after their reboot, which they um, announced with a song called Reboot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, my my current K-pop faves uh, had an album called Reboot last year, so (laughs) it's a well-worn trick. (laughs) And so they, they quote, rebooted um, themselves uh, kind of away from, they'd had really this sort of show tunes um, stage image. I mean, they worked a lot with um, Takizawa Hideaki, like they did all these stage shows and their kind of early stuff was really sort of heavily um, fed by that. And... um, I think they really just wanted to break away and do some more interesting things. And so every album, I guess, since that has been, I mean, I think really good. And Hara Hara Hira Furu is one of those sort of Johnny's like album cuts that is meant to be heard at the concert. Yeah, this was written by um, this duo, Tommy and Sammy, who are kind of like a 70s influenced um like songwriter um, pair that have not done much and um, I think it's kind of charming they probably submitted this or I mean possibly were even asked to submit it Um, you know who knows (laughs) who knows how Tommy and Sammy got a Johnny's credit but um... (laughs) (laughs) well their names end with Y right (laughs) if it's right within (laughs) Johnny and Sammy and Tommy (laughs) yeah um but I, I like it because it is very, you know, it's got that triplet feel. Um, it's kind of like this shuffle song. And um, the, in the concerts, there's this, like, hand-waving choreography that goes with it. And when you're listening, like, your arm really just wants to, like, wave back and forth, like, in the Japanese concert way. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it always just makes me really happy when I hear it. The first thing that I wrote down when I was listening to this was that it was a hand wavy song. <laughs> so I guess that thing's <laughs> universal. <laughs> it's also classic kind of Johnny's concert song. And um, yeah, it just it makes me happy. And I like that you can like you can hear all their voices too. Uh, ABCZ, they're not none of them are like out of the park singers. But they all have very unique voices that sound good together, I think. And, um, yeah, I think you get a lot of, uh, it's just like a, it's a lot of personality in there. Yeah, I liked this a lot. Super upbeat. It just has kind of a timeless feel to it. Like, it could have been released in any decade, and you wouldn't really know. What else did I think? Um, Just kind of classic piano pop hands in the air, feeling good. It actually reminded me, it sounded like something that Heisei Jump would record. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it only occurred to me, like, maybe the third time that I listened to it, but I could just, the voice uh, color even sounded like them. Oh, that's very interesting. I hadn't connected that dot, but yeah, this this kind of feels like, to me, um, that 70s, yeah, like the Carol King, like... (laughs) (laughs) like let's just knock it out um but it's one of those ones too like the more you listen to it i mean there are some interesting things going on in the background 
Yeah, it's got a real kind of organic feel to it, which is a lot different than like their the stuff they put out before their reboot. Yeah, before the reboot, it was a lot of just sort of canned, like I'm sure just sort of right out of the whatever package, whatever songwriter was using, this like export, and then they just sang on top of it, and then that was it. But yeah, like after their reboot, like the sound palette, like the sound, like the range of sounds and like dynamics and um and like frequencies like just expanded and then all of a sudden you were like oh wait I can hear the bass I can hear the high end um it just really it just all like opened up that's what I want to say it just all opened up whereas before it did sound very compressed and tinny with just like voices on top but after the reboot yeah like everything just opened up for them they had some fascinating music videos before the reboot though uh, I don't. I don't know if you want oh. to get into this, but I was. Hey, I could talk about ABCZ all day long. I know you can, and nobody ever talks about them. So I wanted to bring up a couple things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody like in the Western media, no. especially. Yeah. Um, that song is it called Zuto Love? <laughs> Love was the song that hooked me. I love so Zuto I love, love that song. That music video I find to be so freaky. Like <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like a David Lynch film to me, at least. Like the lighting and like the concept. And I, I don't. I know it's not supposed to be freaky, and I love it because it's freaky. Like that's not a knock on it, but I find it really cult-like. And <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm putting them down, but. No. I've watched that video so many times just because I find it utter- utterly fascinating. <laughs> oh my, I had I had no idea that you also <laughs> love Zuto Love. This is like, I'm like, oh my god, I'm, uh, I don't I don't know what to say. Um, <laughs> no one ever talks I mean, it's, about it's ABCC a, with me. <laughs> it's a special kind of love, but it's a love nonetheless. <laughs> no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And um, yeah, like, so their whole first... Like, before the reboot, they did a lot of these one-camera show. Like, they call it, like, a one-camera show. Um, and and it was this very, like... Because they're stage performers, so they're used to being on stage. And it took them a while to figure out how to, to use, like, cameras. <laughs> and so... <laughs> <laughs> like, the, like, they're, like, um, the Five Stars ABCZ is another one of those kind of, like... It is sort of uncanny. Um... Uh, have you seen like their first like their debut
Yeah. Oh, I love that song. I yeah. can't. I can picture the video, but nothing really stands out to me. It's. I always found it kind of uncanny because it's all these like Johnny's Juniors just like running wild on this like really <laughs> fakey like set. <laughs> and then yeah, so Zuto Love they actually. Um, so Zuto Love um, is yeah that's the song that hooked me like I love it. The lyrics are so awkward. They were written by Tatsu, um, and he's like extremely. And I mean this in the best way, like when he, especially when he was younger, like was kind of pretentious. Um, and he was like really getting into like reading and like reading was his whole like persona. And so he made these lyrics like so, like they're so wordy and clunky. And like, like the, the whole hook translates to something like stopping at the crosswalk that doesn't stop. Like my heart is going to not stop at the crosswalk that doesn't, like the intersection that like, it's like this long, like. like oh God. <laughs> I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? But um, yeah, so the video is filmed in, um, I want to say it was Tokyo Dome, like City Hall, which is a small venue, like right by Tokyo Dome. And you like go underground. It's like this underground theater. And um, they invited, like they had a, a ballot for like the fan club members to like come. And they all had to wear, like they had to wear like specific colors um, and like, part. and like dress up like they were going to a tea party. <laughs> that is the creepy part. Yep. <laughs> and it's all just like, I mean, these are real ABCZ fans, um, you know, and this is like the lowest budget, like video ever. Yeah. Just filmed in like, uh, yeah. Tokyo Dome, like city hall, like underground. Uh, yeah. At a tea party, a fake tea party with, um, ABCZ fans dressed like they're going to a fancy tea party and it is kind of sort of heightened reality David Lynchy like <laughs> oh like I wish that Johnny's was more widely available on the internet so we could provide a link for people to watch this because you really have to see it <laughs> yeah it's it's something else but the song is so good and I remember playing it for my mom once we were in the car and she was like what year was this recorded and I was like oh <laughs> uh 2012 and she was like what i thought this was from the 70s yeah it's got that that timeless um uh, yeah like sort of uh, not timeless but out of time mm -hmm. that, that that's kind of in a nutshell though <laughs> yeah 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 but they've got a lot of um interesting interesting videos and um yeah it's they're the johnniest of johnny's groups i think in a lot of ways they're um one take or maybe it's not a one take but the never my love video is really cool That was one take. Yeah, that's 
super cool. And it took, um, yeah, and they filmed that at a, um, it's this, it's a real castle called Castle Lockhart. And my friend and I went there um, a few years ago. (laughs) And it's way in like the countryside. And apparently some, like during the bubble era in the 80s when like money in Japan was like water, um, some guy like paid for this castle in Scotland to be moved brick by brick from Scotland to Japan. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's just like a, um, it's like a wedding venue, but also kind of like a romance theme park of sorts um and (laughs) it's like a prancing venue if you watch the video (laughs) i mean they are doing some grade a prancing (laughs) a lot of prancing a lot of posing um yeah but they it's like this 10 minute like with this whole intro that they wrote i mean it's it is maximalist um and they're all in like these princely outfits and um singing 100% in English, uh, yeah, and, yeah, at this, like, Castle Lockhart, imported from Scotland during the bubble era, (laughs) (laughs) that's now a wedding, cheesy wedding venue, um, yeah, it's pretty great. I'm, my favorite, I guess, is probably, is the, um, Space Traveler one, have you seen that? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's all, like, they did that, that was, like, a one-shot, one-kill, all-in-one take, first take, the, the never my love took a lot longer but yeah that space traveler yeah. was one shot one take my favorite is is it called telepathy one <gasps> two oh i love that song so much and yeah. i love that video it's such an 80s video like dance dance through the town video <laughs> it's so good where they're having like a party and that's post reboot <laughs> That's yeah. my favorite of their songs, I think. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, like, I would recommend, not that you can find them anywhere, um, but, yeah, I definitely recommend, like, everything. If you're interested in, like, pop music, like, pop pop music with, like, tunes and stuff, um, yeah, ABCZ post-reboot is all really good and sort of all over the place. Like, they don't really have a genre except pop music, but, um, yeah, there's, like... I guess this will be my last ABCZ tangent, but (laughs) (laughs) since since I have a captive audience, um, (laughs) so like my favorite member is Kawai Fumito, who is the one with the, um, and I was going to bring this up later, but I'll I'll bring it up now. Um, so there's a singing technique that you hear all the time in J-pop, kolbushi, like, um, vibrato. Mm. And, um, it's like an Inca style of singing like a sort of a showa kind of like old-fashioned style of singing kolbushi and um there's this uh 
fabulous drag queen, um, Matsuko Deluxe. I don't know if you've heard of her, but um, she is incredibly sarcastic and um, hilarious. And she had this essay that I translated, um, which I can link you to if you haven't read it, and um, about how much she loves Hello Project. And <laughs> she throws in this line <laughs> about um, Smap's Kimura Takia and his Iranai Kobushi, like his pointless Kobushi. <laughs> like, and for whatever reason, that just, it always makes me laugh. And now whenever I hear like Smap and Kimura Takia, I always think of his like pointless, like vibrato. <laughs> But, um, so Kawai, like my favorite member of ABCZ, um, also does like the Kimura, like vibrato, um, the Kobushi. So I always get a kick out of that. Like he's very much in the, um, he loves idols. Like he did a Sawada Kenji in like themed solo stage, um, in one of their early concerts. Are you familiar with, um, Julie at all? Sawada Kenji? I don't think so. <gasps> oh my god. All right. Like another whole can of worms but so julie or sawada kenji um is he was huge in the 70s and 80s kind of like a david bowie um extremely over the top um singer and he like he was known for like just sort of switching up images all the time and um he played with a lot of kind of daring imagery like kind of skirting sort of like pushing really pushing at the boundaries of what was acceptable um but very like always very sexy like incredibly sexy for like mainstream um or not even sexy but like sexual mm-hmm. like for mainstream sort of japanese entertainment and you have sort of these more tame like teen singers and you know anka singers and then on would come sawada kenji and like you know, basically, I mean, all but like, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's very, like, he was just very sexual, like dressed in sort of, um, like tight, like revealing outfits. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, Kawai from ABCZ did a Sawada Kenji inspired, like solo oh stage. <laughs> And, um, yeah, and from that point on, I was like, well, okay, so he's my favorite. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he loves, like, 
like the idol persona and like playing around with it his um uchiwa the fans that they sell like at the concerts and stuff Mm -hmm. he's always doing like different stuff like he did um one kind of like doing a kame from cartoon pose um he's always just kind of like really trying to push it like the boundaries of what idol images but um yeah so he so abcz has him but it also has tatsuka shota who's the more pretentious-y like um writer he loves like his solo stage is always just like him with a guitar (laughs) 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 but like a song he wrote himself or like um so the two of them kind of clash and i think it um it brings out sort of the unique blend of uh songs now that they have a little more control over what goes into their albums it, it really kind of yeah like they both love music and like love the arts they're just coming from different places and so you kind of end up with a real mix of of things huh yeah that's so interesting i i haven't i'm familiar with a lot of abc's music but i've never really known much about them as a group so that gives me kind of a new ears to listen to it yeah well there's nothing in english i mean one of the reasons um i started learning japanese was because i got into abc's and absolutely nothing is translated. So I was like, well, I guess I have to do it myself then. Um, so I did. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's like the dark, like the dark secret history. But I'll link you to the Matsuko <laughs> Deluxe um, essay. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, please. Um, yeah, so that was Hara Hara Hirafuru. Um, but maybe after that we should go right into um, TM Revolution speaking about <laughs> um, very sexual singers right I was thinking of him as you were describing that other performer <laughs> <laughs> Pressure, which was his fifth single released July 1st, 1997, and it was written by Asakura Daisuke. Um, and it was also, according to Wikipedia, the Latte Sweetie Ice um, CM song. <laughs> and the 22 highest selling single of 1997. I would put more emphasis on that second one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So um, what is it about TM Revolution and High Pressure? TM Revolution, I call him like my lord and savior of 90s J-pop. I feel like he's kind of like my alternate personality. Like on the outside, I think I'm a pretty unassuming person, especially if I don't know you well. But inside, there's a TM Revolution with that horrible late 90s haircut and those weird outfits. And just that gleeful performance style. I'm a big fan of that era of J-pop, or I have become a bigger fan recently. Kind of the mixing of this techno trance sound with electric guitar and just really big choruses. And he, for me, is just the pinnacle of that. I love his uh, kind of punky raw vocal contrasted with this really polished dance pop. It's just a really cool, interesting mix to me. And I just find him to be utterly fascinating. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I know TM Revolution mostly from, um, he was on the uh, Kinky Kids show, um, Domoto Kyodai, like as part of their kind of panel of um, musicians for years and years. Like he's got a very appealing personality um, and he's an amazing performer, like amazing. Yeah, I was watching... Um... I think it was 97, one of his concerts. And at the end, I mean, I'm sure it was very theatrically staged, but he kind of like mocked collapsing and they had to carry him off the stage. And the camera, camera followed him all the way to his dressing room as he's like panting and writhing in the, his manager's arms. And it's just that, that old fashioned kind of rock and roll showmanship that you just don't see much anymore. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's like injecting it into my veins. <laughs> Yeah, he's great. And um, those 90s songs, and you're right, it is kind of like, yeah, like this trance sort of, um, like this trance beat. And then layered over top of it is, um, yeah, it is. It's like a rock, like a rock song, basically, um, which is why I think they, they do kind of translate very seamlessly to stadium, like where he has the live band um, and he's playing like in these big stadium venues. Like, it translates really well, and that doesn't always happen. Well, and his producer, Asakura, is my favorite uh, Japanese producer. He produced so much stuff in the 90s and still works today. And I, a lot of his work, I mean, pretty much sounds the same. Like, if you like one of his songs, you're probably going to like all of them. But it just happens to be so tailored to my taste. Um, I recently have been down this giant wormhole finding as many of his tracks as I possibly could. Not, of course, knowing any Japanese, so relying on Google Translate, but... Yeah, uh, he's just, his work on the keyboard is just so good. I don't know, like the interplay with with the audience too and like the like the way that these songs, they're, it's like it's, you're meant to be part of it almost. Like it's, it's um, like it really draws you in 
and you can shout along. I mean, I guess it is kind of punky when you think about it. Like those shouted, like the shouted punk choruses. Yeah. You know, we're just like everybody is yelling along. Um, and the other one, like the other big one, the one uh, Hot Limit. Oh, yeah. And the outfit. <laughs> with, like, outfit. <laughs> with the iconic bondage outfit. Um, but it's, it's if you watch, like, the performances of him with an audience, um, and high pressure is the same way. And um, you see, like, the crowd, like, everyone's got their hands in the air, like, moving along. Like, you can, like, you can feel, like, you can feel the, um, the choruses, like, just in your bones. Like, you, like, it's, it's there. Right. Well, and High Pressure in particular has this really dippy choreography that goes along with it in the chorus, which is really easy. It's like, put your arm up, put the other arm up, um, and everybody in the audience does it. And that same concert that I was watching in between some of the songs, they'd have like backstage type stuff. And I just remember seeing him standing where the audience would normally stand, kind of watching a rehearsal and some of the visualizations on stage. And they were playing that song and he just kind of started doing that that move to it and kind of mouthing the words. And he just looked so gleeful. It's like he was the leader of this army of people and this was their salute. It was just very cool. Yeah, yeah, he is, he is somebody that's, um, I think if he's known at all in America, it's for... Um, like anime themes I want to say because I feel like he's done comic-con or like like a anime con or he's done something like that over here yeah but I, I think that if you kind of dig a little deeper past like sort of the anime references like let the weeaboos do what they want um and like really get into like that 90s like that good 90s j-pop stuff um it's really really rewarding yeah that's why um j-pop's inaccessibility on the internet frustrates me so much because this is a guy I'd known about like I'd heard his name I kind of knew a little bit about him for years and never thought I would like his music just based on the few songs that were available for global audiences to stream and then when I found this 90s stuff like that was my entry point and then that expanded out into the rest of his catalog and which I love as well now but I don't think I would have become such a big fan if I hadn't heard those those 90s songs yeah i mean i guess that's the the good and the bad of j-pop um and i mean the bad part is that it isn't accessible unless you really are seeking it out but i guess the good part is it, it does kind of act as like gatekeeping for um sort of the like the the people after low-hanging fruit um and not to like totally understand where you're coming from <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, and I don't know how to put this politely or in a way that it's not just me on my soapbox again, but I mean, I've spent years like looking at this stuff and there is that kind of person that will like, they're just looking for the low hanging fruit, whatever is easy, easiestly like accessible. And, um, it can lead to like a really distorted view of, um, the market, which is like baby metal 
um, which when people think of J-pop now, they think of baby metal, which, I mean, they're, you know, they're fine, but they're not, like, they're popular here in America. Like, they're not popular really in Japan. They're like for Western tastes. And I think that level of distinction like doesn't really come across because there's just nothing like you can't find um, writing in English really on a lot of stuff by, mm-hmm. you know, or at least by people considered experts, like not by us. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, well, and I, I mean, people on my blog are tired of hearing me complain about K-pop embracing Western musical trends, but I talk about it, I feel like every week. And I feel like that just doesn't happen with J-pop as much. And part of it is because of that exclusivity and the fact that J-pop is just really catering towards their market. I think that's their strength um, in a lot of ways. I mean, because, yeah, because K-pop, a lot of it does sort of want to get sort of the broadest audience possible. It has to be really bland um, Mm -hmm. because you can't make specific references like that Bibita song there were so many specific references in that and um if you you know like if you don't think a joke about man with a mission is funny then like you know it's just gonna go right over your head like let alone even just like trying to find it and it is it's very like specific and catered to like a specific audience's tastes um and so that means you can like like you're you're not having to make sure that you're oh well if we do this kind of melody then it's going to alienate like this audience and we can't have that because we want to get like literally everybody listening and um yeah i mean there are some groups that can kind of do what they want and still get a, a broad like big bang i think they've managed to not be bland but i mean i think their big bang is like an outlier in a lot of ways well, and they've just been on hiatus for so long, it's hard to know what yeah. happened. I wonder, though, I feel like J-pop, the industry is really opening up to Western ears, um, especially with like quarantine that everybody's under. So many things are being offered, which I'm of mixed opinion about. Like, I love that a lot of this stuff is becoming accessible now, but it worries me, too, because I feel like we're kind of in the place that K-pop was in like six or seven years ago. I think the difference for Japan is that um, they don't need the global market and I don't think they're going to be catering for international ears. Um, I talked a lot about this in the episode I just recorded with my friend who's um, who really likes Arashi and um, because Arashi made like their whole thing this year if you've been watching the Netflix series the docuseries is um they wanted to sort of go after a global audience as like the challenge for their last year, but no one's listening. (laughs) 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 You know what I mean? Like their audience is the same audience they've always had, uh, which is, you know, people in Japan and then like Johnny's, like Johnny's fans that have sought it out. Um, And the people that they've reached are the people that were using like fan subs um, and fan translators before. I don't know if they're like, I think the the Japanese ear, like, I think they would rather, like, they don't want to lose the Japanese ear, even if they move 
you know, or try to market a little bit more beyond it. I don't think they're going to be catering to what people like in the West with exceptions like baby metal. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, or like one okay rock. Um, they're another one that's kind of like sort of popular ish in the West. Yeah. They feel very much just Western rock music to me, but I'm not too familiar with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, that's not my taste. Um, my taste is more, uh, this next song, um, <laughs> Uh, which is September 9th, 1999 by Morning Musume, and it was their first million seller. And this was written by uh, Tsunku, who's another one of those great like 90s guys. Do you have any experience with um, Morning Musume or Love Machine? I have recent experience with them and Hello Project in general, like recent as in the past four or five months. I've been starting to get into them, mostly from more of their current stuff, although I'm very aware of this song just because I know it was a big, big song of that era. Yeah, it was, I mean, I think it's still, like, really huge. Um, I mean, I feel like it gets called back to all the time. I, like, Love Machine, I think, is a sort of musical, cultural touchstone. I, I don't know. I really uh, enjoy it a lot. It's kind of this, um, like, a, like, like slutty like a slutty disco <laughs> like, oh that's funny i didn't get slutty from it but i definitely got disco oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'm listening to it wrong <laughs> i don't know like yeah to me it's always just like this slutty disco song and um just sort of like let it all hang out um <laughs> And it's got, like, this great, like, bass riff that's, like, right off of Chic. And um, I just feel like this sound of, like, Love Machine just, like, echoes on. And you can hear it even in, um, 
AKB48 Koisuru Fortune Cookie. is like one of their few kind of like main like really mainstream hits it has like the same like it's got like a like echoes of love machine in it well and wasn't this one of the the first big kind of rotational girl groups yeah yeah it was yeah hello project in general the whole idea of just cycling they get too old we'll just cycle them out cycle new ones in um it's not my favorite style of idol group but i mean i think uh it suits the audience and certainly people i mean hello project has kind of waned as akb48 has risen but i'm sure um you know i'm sure fortunes change you know who knows who knows what will happen in the future i mean it might also have to do with um Tsunku, like getting ill like getting ill health and having to step back um that might have also had something to do with it because his songwriting is i mean if you like it you like it <laughs> you know well doesn't he write the bulk of of all those group songs he did, yeah, yeah. Um, That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. That's all catalog. What separates, I think, the Hello Project groups from kind of the AKB groups is, I feel like, like the Hello Project groups are a lot um, trashier. I mean, in the best way. Like, I don't mean that as like a, you know, negative thing. I think that they're they're not as polished, like in their um, presentation. Um, but like their craft is better, like their singing and dancing is better. They don't have like the um, like the girly girl image. Yeah, they, I haven't seen any songs. I mean, I I'm not super familiar with every song, but I haven't seen many of kind of those pure innocent type of concepts. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the the pure innocent concept. But I mean, I'm also not the audience for that. If I'm going girl groups for Japan, it's got to be Hello Project with their um let a, let it all hang out sort of mentality and their crazy um group names <laughs> <laughs> like that new one with all the o's like beyond i don't even know how to say it but i'm like seriously <laughs> <laughs> like there comes a point where like this won't even fit on like the template that i'm using for my blog <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's um yeah, it's uh, Hello Project is its own little little world. They have their own little subculture. Um, yeah, I, and you can get like really into it too. Like they have, I mean, just like the like Johnny's or like AKB48. Like Hello Project has their own sort of traditions and um, just everything like senpai songs and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, it's um, Love Machine is like. I don't know. I feel like that's one of the keystones of the the J-pop canon. Like you have to know Love Machine. Like if you don't know Love Machine, like don't talk to me about anything. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look up the lyrics, but would this be considered like a cheer song? It kind of had that vibe to me. Yeah. And yeah. almost like nationalist cheer song. Like 
oh yeah 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 there's a line towards the end that they're cheering that translates to something like um the world is envious of japan (laughs) (laughs) so yeah wasn't this released as they were coming out of a, a recession yeah 1999 um yeah or at least you know sort of the the forward looking not like the the not depressing but let's let's go japan um it uh, yeah, suits the mood suits the mood of the country or it did in yeah. 1999 yeah but yeah it's, it's a fun. great song. i love the breakdown too just really fun yeah yeah and when they, it's um it's almost got kind of like like at the very yeah like at the very end it does like the whole like sort of like gospel let's build this back up and um yeah just like the sloppy vocals and the girls just like um you know shouting along and uh yeah it's it's a hard song not to like i think if you if you like pop music i think it's hard not to like love machine i imagine it's a a big karaoke song yeah it's really fun to do a karaoke whoa 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 because you can you know you can do that part if you can't yeah and if the original vocal isn't all that great yours doesn't have to be either (laughs) (laughs) right like that's got to be appealing (laughs) well it's like the secret to a good karaoke song but the um yeah god karaoke so much fun um yeah but i mean that's that's like one of the big differences like i said like between j-pop and k-pop is like you know you have um, a song like love machine um where yeah it's not like a virtuoso performance or anything it's just like fun and it's fun to sing along to and it's fun to do at karaoke you know you're not going to get anybody bickering in your mentions about like this person's vocal was like better (laughs) 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 it's like that's not the point i don't know if you watched any of um produce 48 that was on a couple years ago no where they had like the akb girls come try out with the korean trainees to form eyes one which was eventually the group that won um but yeah like the first couple episodes where they were all doing their initial performance the korean judging panel (laughs) like the looks on their faces when some of these japanese girls were performing it was like such a culture shock (laughs) it's just a different different thing that you're placing emphasis on yeah personality is way more important and like being appealing um is way more important than like raw talent for sure because i think the the japanese um like you'd rather hear somebody that you like sing poorly than hear somebody that you don't care about sing well that's an important distinction i mean i can't disagree (laughs) yeah and that's like that's the japanese idol that's their um, selling point. I mean, that's like sort of the business practice. You have to care about the person, then you can listen to the song. I mean, how how many years did we hear like Smaps Nakai, like who I think is actually tone deaf? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Kiss My has one of those too. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we should move on to um, Kiss My Foot Two.
Scream by Kiss My Foot 2, and it was released um, June 22nd, 2016, as the lead track of the album, um, which was the 12th best selling album of 2016. And this was written by one of my favorite kind of like Johnny's ringers, which was Tommy Clint, who actually wrote the ABCZ debut song. <laughs> We share that. I, he's one of my favorites, too. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I always know I'm going to like a song when I see his name on it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> he knows how to go big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's German, maybe. I don't. He's not a. He's not one of the Scandinavians. I, I want to say he's German, but I feel like his ethos yeah, is like way more Eurovision than... Oh, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Yes, I Scream. Um, what made you pick this one? I think, I mean, I think the title kind of sums it up. <laughs> I like to think of it as like, yes, I scream. Like, duh. Um, it's kind of like just a middle finger to what people think is cool or pretend to think is cool. I mean, we talked about this already, but just the unpretentiousness of it, just embracing the ridiculous, really big, really joyful. I don't see how you could hear this song and not feel happy. I have a great fondness for this group in general. It's not my favorite song from them, although it's it's up there. But it's just so big. Yeah, um, I I have kind of mixed feelings about "Kiss My Foot" too. For um, mostly, I think I find their their vocals like the um, the it, they're not as uh, I don't know. Like it's missing, like it's missing a little depth, like when they, like their vocals. But um, as a as a group, like they definitely have songs I like, though. Uh, like I love Love Sick. Um, but uh, yeah, Yes I Scream is kind of fun as a Johnny song because for me, like as a you know old time Johnny's fan, this song when I hear it immediately, I'm like, oh okay, I know exactly what this is. This is a song that you play at the concerts and all the juniors have flags. <laughs> You are exactly right, having watched that concert. <laughs> All the juniors get of them. <laughs> and they wave the flags back and forth like really big and it's like a it's a um it's a march, which is another thing that you like never hear anywhere else. Like where else you're gonna hear like a pop song that's like a march. Like a, a march. 
Um, and the video is literally them parading around like Whoville or wherever they are. <laughs> um, and I watching the making of it's so funny because it's shot on a pretty small soundstage. And so they'll have this big parade marching for like 10 seconds and then they'll yell cut and everybody has to back up and march again and it just keeps going and it's just it's so funny <laughs> oh that's hilarious oh my god I, yeah i my friend who i mentioned before like we went to the castle lockhart together but she is a huge kiss my foot two fan so um i actually went with her to outside i dropped her off like at the um the venue for this tour and like the pen light um, is a, or the light stick, if you're a K-pop fan, is um, shaped like uh, an ice cream cone. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it was like, it was all very um, whimsical and uh, yeah, just very much of the like sort of candy candy. We're just here to have fun. Um, none of this is too serious. And um, I mean, Kiss My Foot 2 can get cartoon angsty and cool but they also have this ice cream side which is nice too like they really they capture that um that duality really well yeah rather than i mean other than their roller skating which is such a big trademark for oh. them they don't really have a set concept musically which is good and bad like there will be albums that i'll just absolutely love and then the next album and eh, not so great um whereas like with cartoon i kind of know what i'm going to be getting um but for them, of all the Johnny's groups, they were the one that watching subtitled variety was kind of the, the thing that pushed me over the edge to being a big fan of theirs, just because Interplay and the concept they have, I mean, they've just kind of made this uh, this concept of having four members that are really ridiculous and not particularly talented, <laughs> and then three <laughs> members that are more traditionally what you would think of with an idol. And I just find that contrast so fascinating. They play it up so well. Yeah, this is why one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you is because, um, like, for me, that 3-4 split, like, coming at it from a Johnny's fan, like, that was a huge point of contention, like, in the fandom and, like, in Johnny's fandom. Like, people hated it. And, um... It, like people really really hated that divide and the first like those early sort of um kiss my foot two songs it was it was kind of shocking if you were used to them as juniors because they were seven and then suddenly mm. they debut and they're three and four and um they pulled um tamamori who's like so the the front three are kind of the three most good looking but um tamamori who's objectively i think like the most attractive member of kiss my foot too but um he's not like the best singer or performer but they yanked him to the front and um some of the like like senga um you know was like stuck in the back and uh yeah it's it was really really contentious but i think you're right that they have made it work and it's interesting hearing you coming coming in like after this whole thing like happened just like as a fan yeah. from like post like post split um yeah that's really interesting to hear yeah because i wasn't around as a fan for any of that and i can see even looking at the earlier music videos that it was totally a hindrance at that point but they've turned it around to make it their strength um they have that subunit busaiku <laughs>
and like that's the whole concept of their weekly variety show like um approaching different kind of scripted situations in either a quote-unquote cool way or like a stupid silly way and i think that they've they've made that model work for themselves in a way that i haven't seen any other idol group do I'm loving hearing you say that um, because it it took me a kind of a while to come around to them after like the split and everything. But um, yeah, I'm and it, maybe I'm also colored because like like my friend, she's a fan of like one of the members in the back, and mm. she was like really butthurt for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> like like because going to concerts, um, you know, a majority of the you know how like it. Uh, at a Johnny's concert you like put your pen light to the color of the member that you like and it would just be this sea of colors for the front three and um who is her favorite oh Miyachi she loves Miyachi and Mm. um so she would be like the one Miyachi like in just the sea of like Tamamori and like Kitayama and you know Fujigaya um yeah uh but I guess you know it's yeah it's got it's good and bad but I'm glad to hear that that uh, Busaiku has some fans. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just love uh, Tamamori's uh, not giving a shit about anything. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he seems, his personality. I mean, I, I know a lot of it's put on, I'm sure, and they play up their characters, but I find that so charming. It's like he doesn't really care. <laughs> yeah. Well, his. Or he um... acts like he doesn't really care. Yeah, like his friendship with um, like Miyachi, who's like extremely goofy and like a big anime dork. Smaps Nakai was a big part of of helping them, helping um, Kiss My Foot Two, kind of um, come together because he really promoted Busaiku and had them on his music show when he had a music show. It was like part of his like panel. I mean, they're they've got their own quirks in the Johnny's canon. <laughs> I feel like maybe not so much musically, but personality wise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, like they're not my favorite. Um, and I, but although I do really like some of their songs, but I definitely appreciate um, "Kiss My Foot" too as sort of uh, part of the the broader Johnny's uh, Johnny's world. It's like they're um, with between the roller skating and Tamamori and his like pink princess dress. Like you really get a lot of um, <laughs> like you get a lot of color a lot there. of content <laughs> we'll say that <laughs> <laughs> well it also helps they have a um i don't i wouldn't say dedicated but there's quite a bit of english uh subtitled videos out there i mean you have to like give your blood to join these communities to find them but <laughs> yeah um, yeah it's I easy would... for a foreign fan to get to know the group yeah, Kiss My Foot 2 definitely has a bigger um, foreign fan, fan base than, I mean, ABCZ, there's absolutely nothing, um, except for me, um, and I had to learn <laughs> Japanese. <laughs> hey, but it taught you Japanese, that's, that's a pretty good trade. I was, yeah, I was extremely dedicated. Um, Alright, so I guess we'll move to...
振り舞いじゃねえさここぞって時に困る不器用かきっと寂しがりや見たいかな裸のまだ気さくれふりした兄さん頑張っても空回る語るなら受けてたどうか並ばさ裸もあっちもこっちもみんな役者ばかり仲良し高校本当の本当のあなたを見せて簡単だものそのままじゃん From、um, Kiss My Foot 2 to Yama P's Hada Kombo. All right, and so Hada Kombo was、um, released January 26, 2011, as part of Super Good, Super Bad, which was a double CD, his、um, very first solo album. And yeah, 2011 was a pretty good year for pop music, but I absolutely like, I love Super Good, Super Bad. It's like one of my all time favorite CDs. I still listen to it all the time. And、um, Hada Kombo was, it's kind of interesting. It was sort of a collaboration with this band Osan. The main guy of Osan, Otake Sosaku, is the guy that wrote it, produced it.、Um, and I want to say Osan even like played. Um, but Osan is kind of like a, a they're like a Chicago, like a band like Chicago,、um, like a rock band with horns. And、uh, Hada Kambo is a rock song with horns, but kind of like a, like a sleazy, like lounge song. And it's full of like innuendo and single entendre. And、uh, yeah, it's pretty great. It is pretty great. I love、um, right from the opening. Like the brassy opening is so good. And then it's just really funky、um, and kind of jazzy and just a really good match for his voice.、Um, the, the brass textures with the texture of his voice just go really well together. It seems, I'm not super familiar with the arc of his career, although I like his music a lot. It seems like this was kind of a turning point for him, though, musically. Before this, I feel like his music was more typical pop. Solo boy band member. And this was a little bit more,、um, not experimental, but a little bit more band sounding, I guess. Yeah, so he was in, I mean, he was part of News,、um, mm-hmm. but he really was always kind of like destined to go solo, I think. I mean, News was sort of an unwieldy band as it was.、Um, but yeah, so he, he had done like a few solo things.、Um, He did、uh, like Daite Senorita、uh, as a drama theme.、Um, and he did,、uh, yeah, Seishun Amigo with、um, Kame. And、um, yeah, and so then it was kind of like, well, Yama P, like Yama P is on the rise. And so they were like, okay, we're going to pluck you out. You're going to go solo, which I mean, at the time was like 
you know, they didn't have too many. They hadn't really had solo Johnnies since, um, like, the early 80s. So it was, like, a huge deal. And he comes out with this, like, double CD um, that was meant to be, because Yama P is kind of like an America boo, and he loves, like, Western music. And so he had one CD that was meant to appeal to sort of the Japanese market, and then one CD that was meant to be more, like, for Western ears. And, yeah, the whole package and the the concert is also really, really good. The concert DVD. Um, it, I mean, he just threw everything he had. Like, he put his whole soul, like, into this CD. Um, and it's incredible. Like, um, but Hada Combo specifically, I think, one of the reasons I wanted to play it for everybody was, um, like, we were talking about, like, singers and stuff. And Yama P, he doesn't have what, I think, sort of the... American Idol style, like, you know, when they would say, like, oh, you've got a good singing voice, or like, oh, this is a good voice, like, he doesn't have that kind of voice, but he uses what he has really, really well. I think he's got an incredible sense of rhythm, and I also love the way that he uses um, falsetto, and so he's got all these lines in Hadakambo where he's singing in his chest voice, and then he, like, hops up to the falsetto, like, at the end of the phrase, and it just, like, it hits you, like, you just get goosebumps, it's so good. Yeah, I feel like his performance style feels kind of like what I know of his personality, kind of laid back, but then excitable at odd moments. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I've been been watching um, his Route 66 (gasps) show, where... (laughs) Which I, I just love so much. It's so good. So <laughs> and he just good. To me, um, and I don't mean this as a bad thing, but kind of like very laid back, but then just very quirky at other times. Well, I feel like the Route 66, which I've watched probably an embarrassing number of times, but what I love about it is that he's extremely handsome and, you know, just sort of this princely aura, like looking at him, you'd think. And then... <laughs> He's like, he willingly like throws himself into these situations, like the episode where he's in, um, I think it's Missouri, and he goes into the bar. You know oh, like? God, and those women approach him. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awkward. And he's so awkward. <laughs> and it's so great. I mean, it's just like the, you know, it's like the, I mean, like a personality, like, you know, he's his, his personality is just very different, I think, than what you'd see, like, looking at him or the kinds of drama roles he gets, which are tend to be, like, sort of these ice princes. Um, but yeah, he's kind of like this sort of awkward, awkward guy. But um, I love, I absolutely love, like, his voice. You're right, match with the brass. Because I, I think I sent you um, a link to one of my favorite of his performances, which was um, Summer Nude um, from 2013. Yeah. Yeah, which is another one of these songs. And I want to say his newest single, which I haven't taken a lot of time with, but it's in this vein as well. Like, it's a style that really works well for him. Yeah, I actually just wrote about that um, on my blog this week. It's it's a very cool song. It's like a, it's a ballad, but it's not really a ballad because it's got a lot of percussion going on, too. Um, but it really uses his voice really well. Come on. 
like I get the sense and again I don't know a lot about him as a performer but I get the sense from just people or things I've read online that he's not that well regarded as a vocalist he's not at all he gets mocked I think for his voice a lot which really pisses me off because I think he's a really great stylist like I don't think I mean he's not like a he doesn't have a wide range um and he he doesn't have the uh Kimutaku like kobushi like he doesn't have that kind of voice um he actually reminds me of um the jazz singer Anita O'Day who's like one of my touchstones because um she had her uvula removed like in a tonsillectomy gone wrong and um she couldn't like hold a sustained note and so what she did instead was um she just developed this really sort of um rhythmic percussive style of singing and Yamapi's voice kind of reminds me of that like he doesn't do these like long sustained notes he's more i feel like where he shines is more in um sort of the rhythmic phrases well and that just matches like his personality too yeah i, I couldn't see him showboating around <laughs> like it would be really awkward <laughs> i feel like yeah no he's not a showboat he's really not a showboat even though he is a, a solo star it's kind of funny almost when you think about it because it's not like um <laughs> like somebody like um like Taman like from Shiny who went solo and you know it's like the Taman show um but the Yamapi show is still he's still like kind of like laid back mm-hmm. yeah but I think my favorite part of um super good super bad I mean along with like the brassy hata combo is the fact that he had a song called um Tomo because he was trying to get people to call him Tomo instead of Yamapi and um it did not work <laughs> it worked on route 66 <laughs> they were all calling him that <laughs> it only works with foreigners who don't know him yeah. <laughs> who just something easy to say <laughs> yeah but he had a whole song called Tomo and oh it didn't work but yeah have you heard the whole super good super bad um album I've yeah, I, I've heard it. It's been a while, though, and now I want to go back and listen to it again. Yeah, I mean, I really, I revisit it, like, intensely, like, m- at least once a year. Um, Blood Diamond is another one of my favorite tracks from there. Because the whole, it's the whole second CD is all, like, this very kind of, um, like, EDM-y uh, dance music that I'm sure is what he listens to, like, personally. Um, and, you know, it suits his voice well. Um, but I think the, the market prefers more of the Hatakombo style, which yeah, that works for me too. I remember really liking the song that follows this one that we're talking about. I can't remember what it's called though. Oh, well he has. <laughs> but it's really dramatic. It feels like a spy theme. Oh, <laughs> I can remember. <laughs> yeah, his whole, like this whole like sort of early um, 2010s stuff, he really just threw everything out and was like let's see what sticks because i want to say he even did a song by um uh yesitaka who does um perfume and carry pemu pemu i know he did a song because i've written about it before with my absolute favorite korean production team sweet tune which i just think is such an odd meeting of two group or two entities that i would never imagine getting together um candy is the song and I love that song, but I love everything Sweet Tune does. Yeah, 
I remember that post because it came across my timeline. I was like, yes, because it's a B-side for I, Texas. Um, yeah. And I actually have that like CD single. I remember ordering it like <laughs> from CD Japan. <laughs> Like right when it came out, it's like yes, the new Yamapi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are good times. Um, yeah, it's a whole different world. It's uh, yeah, Johnny's is like the you just kind of dig in, and then you just always find new wormholes of like things you've never heard before, and um, uh, B sides that you've never heard, and um, yeah, it's pretty great there's so much history to it which i think is great i mean just even going back and seeing old shows of them performing as children it's like these careers are so long and all-encompassing yeah yeah and i mean there's a lot of people out there i mean i think that's with the whole like um in my episode on snowman and stones i kind of get into it but i mean they're in they're all in their mid-20s i mean snowman and stones are like the same age as like um I mean, I, they're the same age as, like, uh, BTS, EXO. Um, I mean, they're in that age range. Um, and they just debuted. But they've had these, like, long careers. Like, um, like uh, Morimoto Shintaro from Stones has been on TV since he was, like, six. You know? And... It's such an interesting model. It's frustrating in a way because I hate when we've got all these promising groups that have their own songs but there's no way to obtain the songs yet and there might not be for like another decade yeah yeah i mean that's the bad part i guess but that's also kind of the charm in johnny's too is that a lot of it is meant to be seen live um and so like with the concert songs like kiss my foot too in their march and like the big flags and everything i mean you're that song is written so that it's written for those people in the stadium and it's written to like have something to like wave big flags around to more than anything else. Um, and I, I am one of those people in the stadium with the biggest flag. Who <laughs> <laughs> have cornered my market? <laughs> Songs to wave flags to. That's me. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I'm right there with you. Like, I love it. Um, and I think maybe that's too like where K-pop, you know, like where they're kind of. Um, I don't know. I feel like their vision has just sort of shrunk to like the size of your phone screen. Um, whereas Johnny still does like play to that stadium or um, like how combo is going to sound shitty coming out of like an iPhone speaker. Um, but it sounds great, like on actual speakers and it's got like, there's just a lot of depth there. A lot of like, uh, like, depth of tone and depth of dynamic and you know there's quiet things and loud things and things you can listen for i mean the video is actually really good too i don't know if it's available anywhere but um it's a song meant to be like experienced uh rather than a song to be like streamed yeah oh that's a whole nother topic don't start talking about streaming (laughs) (laughs) we'll be on here for hours i think we've got one each left yeah and so all right
So this next one is I, which is an album track from Parade uh, by Heisei Jump, released October 30th, 2019, and it was the 13th best-selling album of 2019 in Japan. And this is another one kind of written by sort of the all-star sort of Swedish team. I was really excited to when I checked the credits, and it had um, Kuboto Shingo from Jazz and Park in, like, was one of the producers. And Jazz and Park is another one of those um, kind of uh, groups that he works, or they work a lot with. I don't think they did anything like on their own, but they've kind of, you know, got connections in the industry. And Jazz and Park, like the members of that, like work with um, Kiss My Foot too. They did Love, uh, one of the guys did Lovesick. They're another one that works with Johnny's West. Big Shot is a Jazz and Park song. Um, they've worked with Hike Dan. Oh, they work with Nishi from um, Tupro A, Attacker All Around. And um, yeah, so I was actually, I'm, Heisei Jump is another one of those groups that is not my favorite, but um, I really liked this. Yeah, this is um, such an interesting song, like such an interesting production. And I wanted to talk about it because I feel like the Johnny's model favors longevity in a way that a lot of K-pop models don't. And part of that, honestly, I think has to do with the military enlistment requirements for male groups in in K-pop. It just kind of functions as a natural cutoff point for their career for a lot of them. Um, But this is a type of song where I feel like we probably would never have gotten it in this group's first five or maybe even 10 years but since they've been able to grow and change for so long and build their audience and not have to worry about winning over um new fans they get to experiment with songs like this and i mean i don't even know how to describe this song it's so interesting it's such a soundscape um it goes in so many different directions the first time i heard this i had no idea what was coming next which doesn't happen to me very often with pop music um yeah and i think it's really cool yeah, I was really surprised. Um, for me, like the the Heisei Jump songs that um, I'm really fond of are a lot of it is their earlier stuff. Um, there's a song called uh, what is it? Beatline. <laughs> Tommy Clint, right? It is a Tommy Clint song. <laughs> I have a whole playlist of this song, so <laughs> I feel like I have them all memorized. Oh my god, that is a Tommy Clint song. Yeah, like Beatline. Yeah, they were one of the last Johnny's groups that I really got into. I think I kind of brushed them off as being super bubblegum. And they have a couple vocal tones that I'm not a big fan of, um, just super nasally. But I think especially in the past couple years, they have been releasing some of the most interesting music from the entire agency. Um, this album in particular is super varied. Um, just really, I mean, I don't want to say mature because they're like prancing around like wolves <laughs> in the video. So how mature can you be? Um, but just exploring all these different genres in a way that I hadn't heard them do before. Yeah. Hey, say jump. Um, and maybe this is again where it's it's been interesting um, 
getting your take on them because I mean for me like I do remember them as like teeny tiny like teenagers um on Shonen Club and um yeah like I mean I remember when Chinin like before like they had to re-record um like the Heisei Jump debut song like to use on music shows and stuff because it was recorded like before his voice changed and so he's got like (laughs) the squeaky squeaky voice Um, and yeah, like him and like Yamada, who's kind of the, the face of Heisei Jump, both very, I mean, petite, petite men. Um, Mm -hmm. and then you have like Yabu and, um, oh, what's his name? You know what I'm talking about? Really tall, handsome. Oh, um, oh, (laughs) um, Nakajima? Yes, Nakajima, who was in, um, uh... Who is in that movie, Pink Toe Gray. Um, but yeah, so you've got them as like, I don't know, there's sort of an unwieldy, just a very unwieldy group, like between these like little petite men with the sort of the high voices. And then yeah, you've got Yabu who cannot sing. And um, yeah, Nakajima, who's like Mr. Dreamboat. And like... A whole bunch it's a of, very diverse mix, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just funny. Like, this is one of the last groups that Johnny himself kind of put together. You're just, sometimes, like, you just look at them and you're like, what was he thinking? Um, but, yeah, they've they've stuck it out all these years. And their specialty is really, I think, um, kind of like these uh, sort of intricate, like choreography dances like on music shows and stuff well this is one of the few johnny's groups that i feel like for whatever reason i don't know if the copyright team just isn't on their game but you can actually find subbed episodes of their variety show on youtube so for somebody entering kind of the johnny's sphere that doesn't know how (laughs) to find anything they're pretty easy to find yeah more than definitely more than like arashi or um yeah some of the other groups I mean, they have a pretty big fandom, Heisei Jump. Yeah, but I mean, for me, this was mostly just about the production in this. I think it's just so interesting. Um, One of the composers, Andreas Oberg, works in K-pop a lot. And I feel like he's not really able to stretch himself due to some of the constraints that K-pop and its Western Western push demands. he's able to really kind of show off in this song. Yeah, what I really liked about it, um, and maybe this is going to sound like a backhanded compliment, but it's not meant to me, but, I mean, well, maybe it is. Um, But, again, like, I I share your dislike of some of the vocal tones that come through and some of the, I don't know, like, peppier sort of uh, Heisei Jump songs. But what was really cool about I was the way that the voices were kind of... um, they were used more as uh, like tones, like as part of a tone <laughs> palette, rather than um, a vocal performance. It felt more like the the voices were being used to to give a specific sound. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, totally. There's this part right after I think the second chorus, where the song suddenly transforms into this like '80s new wave funk yes! <laughs> number. Only a couple bars. It's the briefest little thing, it's so but the good. vocal effects on that are just spot on. Um, 
so great. I mean, they, to me, have never sounded better than they do on this song and this album. Just it's it's just knowing how to use their voices. Yeah, yeah, it, that's that's exactly it. That's that is what I felt um, from this track was that it was a really good use of um, of the the voices that they have in the group, and um, yeah, I was just the only thing I was disappointed about was that the the DVD hadn't come out, so I couldn't see what the um, the concert staging was for the the song because. I'm just guessing it was really, really cool um, just yeah, because I, of the yeah. long like dance break. Cause that's another thing in Johnny songs, um, especially for groups like ABCZ and Hey Say Jump is that you get these long, like, you know, just bars and bars and bars of just here's where the dance goes. They're definitely not constrained by um, length. No, <laughs> <laughs> They're not on streaming platforms. So it doesn't matter. So you're getting like five and a half minute uh, singles. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah five and a half minute singles and then you know like a nice instrumental break you get like um you know the guitar solo which i still love when songs like will just like bust out the guitar solo or like the bridge that like just meanders like back and forth or you like <laughs> or just all sorts of things like you just get a lot of um because they're they really aren't and the streaming culture just isn't a thing like that k-pop streaming culture just doesn't exist in japan um so there isn't this pressure to to have like the song yeah to be able to repeat it as many times or to um i don't know just to to have it like just to be playing it all the time constantly yeah um and to fit sort of fit the narrow constraints of like what a a streaming song would be so yeah so you can get like kind of these interesting lengthy um sort of all over the place um songs that really wouldn't you wouldn't be able to do like in a k-pop context well then say what you will about johnny's but it's very rarely background music (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's not mood music really it's (laughs) it's meant to be experienced full on (laughs) i mean i guess it depends on like the mood you're trying to set (laughs) (laughs) flag waving remember flag waving that's the mood (laughs) always my mood (laughs) (laughs) i mean roller skating a good mood um (laughs) pretending to be a pirate uh great yep, mood got it <laughs> <laughs> uncanny david lynch also a classic <laughs> mood <laughs> yeah i love i mean i really do love johnny's music um like unironically oh all right so we can wrap up with um the very last one and this is uh my pick which was a little self-indulgent but i couldn't help it <laughs> I'm 
No Kiwami Otome, who is one of my favorite uh, J-pop bands. But this is a song called uh, Parallel Spec, Peraderu Spec, which was released um, April 2nd, 2014, as part of um, sort of the mini album, their last mini album on an indie label um, before going to um, signing with Warner Records. And the mini album is called Mina Normal, uh, like Everybody's Normal. And the reason I wanted to pull Gesu no Kiwami Otome was because um, they're sort of, uh, they're a Shima Kitazawa band, which in like Shima Kitazawa was kind of like the hipster, like Brooklyn area of Tokyo. And it had like, it really had like its own scene. And um, yeah, like the, the main singer songwriter of um, the band is this guy Kamatani Enon and like he's extremely distinctive looking he's kind of tall and gangly and has like a mushroom cut and um, yeah they they call him mushroom head uh, derogatorily but uh, he's just very he's got an unusual ear for a melody and um the band that he pulled together is just incredible like they're a mainstream band <laughs> and like this song was for a um it was used as part of a commercial it's for like a it was like a site uh called antenna sort of a tokyo-centric lifestyle site um but i mean this is very mainstream music but it's it's like nothing you'd hear on the radio anywhere other than no, i guess japan sure. <laughs> yeah it seems uh again kind of like um that the other group that you pulled that i can't pronounce their name <laughs> oh. <laughs> it seems very um kind of typically what i imagine when i think of kind of like the indie scene in japan not knowing much about it all of the instrumentation in this to me felt sped up which was kind of cool like i think these musicians they must just be sweating afterwards <laughs> like um everybody was just moving at such a brisk pace um except for the piano kind of anchored it um for me at least and uh, his voice um actually reminded me going back to attack all around um of sky high their rapper has a solo career as well and um the tone is really similar so if you like this you might like um his work too yeah that i mean that's another thing i'll have to check out but um yeah it's it's interesting because um Enon, he does this sort of like it's like a sing sing rapping almost it's it's really I don't know. It's very um, distinctive sounding, and his his songwriting, and like the the way that this band kind of um, they've put their, I mean, all of their stuff kind of has this. You're right. The keys do anchor a lot of it, and the sort of fast pace because um, they're all very technically gifted, and yeah, like he's worked. He he worked with SMAP. He's done a song with SMAP, and 
yeah but it's like the it's one of these songs where you can just sort of listen to it in the background and it's just kind of like fun and upbeat and um like you can kind of like dance around to it but if you dig in and like listen to what they're actually doing it's just fascinating and um like the way the song is structured is just very unusual i think and um there's like that breakdown with the the drums and like the drum roll but it's there's almost like the the bass is like doing this like counter rhythm to them it's it's yeah like i don't know like the more you listen to it the more is revealed i think It felt very technical and it felt very densely packed, but it didn't feel unapproachable. Um, I think the melody kind of anchors that for me, at least, because um, a lot of time this kind of music feels kind of overly showy to me in a different way than like the ridiculous showiness that we've been talking about. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's what I'm talking around, but um, yeah, it it is it's approachable but also very technical um and and they are mainstream um in a way that you know like an actual kind of band that's difficult to be difficult like i don't know like king crimson or something um you know they're difficult to be difficult and you can really get into that kind of like prog rock or um sort of the where you really are just like geeking out over solos and and stuff like that but to have have that kind of mindset um because i think the keyboardist is actually a big fan of king crimson <laughs> but to like combine that with sort of like um this very like mainstream ear for a melody and make it that you can approach it just as a casual listener i think that's sort of um uh like the the sort of selling point of um guess who and what I really, really like about them, because they're not just one thing. There are a lot of different things, and you can approach them on different levels. Yeah, it's a good balance, for sure. Yeah, and I also just enjoy the fact that um, you can still listen to to bands. I mean, there's still bands, and like people still play <laughs> instruments. Because <laughs> that's one but thing. I, I mean, you wouldn't hear this in on American... I mean, I don't. I can't think of any American band that's doing this or Western band. No, no, there isn't any. Um, there's no Western band that's doing this. And I mean, I guess that's you know the one of the things I love about J-pop too. And I mentioned it before talking about ABCZ, but um, you still hear real instruments even on like the cheesiest pop songs. They'll still have like they'll throw in like a guitar solo and like it's a real guitarist um or there'll be like a real drummer playing and um you don't hear that in k-pop a lot unless it's like one of the idol bands um but i really do appreciate the fact that 
that you can still hear this stuff in sort of mainstream music and that you can still be like a horn player and have a career like you can be a trumpet player like you can be like a saxophonist and like make a living in Tokyo um playing on you know pop songs and to me that's like really really great that is it's pretty cool yeah well that's um yeah this is gonna be really fun to put together for me I hope (laughs) like I hope it's uh fun to listen to also but um yeah thanks for indulging my um desire to talk about things I like (laughs) of course it's great to have somebody to talk about this kind of music with in a way that's a little bit more I don't want to say respectful. We're, we were we were pretty respectful. <laughs> I am always respectful. <laughs> <laughs> but on a level where, I mean, I think we share a passion for the actual music. Yeah, I really, um, yeah, when I read your piece about liking J-pop, I really, I don't know, I felt the, uh, I don't know, I feel like you really get it, which is kind of... Um, it's nice it's unusual i think for westerners to take the time to learn and approach j-pop like on its own terms because i mean on the outside i think um it's like it looks familiar and you can look at a band like cartoon or kiss my foot too and you think oh one direction boy band like their their priorities are different um the the musical background they're pulling from is different like the cultural context is totally different. The expectations on them and the expectations their audience has for them are very different from the expectations that you have for a band like One Direction or BTS, you know? Yeah, totally. That's what makes it so refreshing to me. Yeah, me too. Um, And just the, I mean, as like a music fan, um, the, the wider variety of genres and sounds and um just like sheer novelty that you'll hear in j-pop um compared to i mean i think any other industry anywhere is just um there's always something like you'll always find something interesting and new and like i mean one of my favorite things to do is just like wander around tower records and shibuya and like listen to all the listening stations because you never know what you're going to find it definitely rewards curiosity in a way that few music industries do anymore. That's a really good way to put it. And for me, I mean, my favorite part, even sometimes more than listening to the song itself, is finding the song. <laughs> finding the, like, that is the biggest head rush. I really like digging in um, to, like, the songwriters, because that's another really cool thing about um, J-pop, as long as we're kind of wrapping up, is they, um, I mean, the songwriters are really... Um, sort of a key part of the song like there isn't the expectation that the idol has written the song or that the singer has written the song and um, a lot of times the songwriters themselves are their own kind of characters and personalities and um, so when you get a guy like uh, Yoshiki from X Japan writing a song for a Johnny's group for Stones I mean it's um I mean, that was like a big selling point. And it wasn't like, oh, Stones didn't write their own song. They suck. It was like, oh, wow. Like, they're working with Yoshiki. That's awesome. I mean, this is a different way of thinking about sort of the um, the people behind the scenes. Yeah. Oh, that's something I learned early on as a music fan is 
follow those people behind the scenes because they are the ones in charge. <laughs> They're the ones, if you like one of their songs, you're probably going to like their other songs. And you can't always say that about an idol group with all the switching concepts and stuff. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah. So make sure you look for everything by Tommy Clint. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> totally. Tommy Clint, come to this podcast, please. <laughs> Wherever you are. I'm very curious about you. <laughs> Oh my god, that'd be so I've I would yeah, I would love to get um Tommy Clint on. So everybody out there listening, find the the live performance of Heisei Jump doing Beatline by Tommy Clint, and that is your key to everything. Yeah. 